Hello and welcome to Enneagram and Coffee, the podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Jane Case, and I am so happy to have coffee with you today. One of my favorite things that the podcast offers me is a way to expand on the content I create in the Instagram feed. So today we're going to dive deep into one of my recent posts about the words we use to describe our experience. But first, did you know I have a Patreon account? It supports the podcast directly. It starts at $5 for an additional podcast a week. These podcasts are more personal, behind the scenes. I get very vulnerable and honest with you about kind of what life is like over here. There are different tiers too. So for $5, you get the extra podcast. You get input on content creation. Um, You get to request content for Enneagram and Coffee, the feed, but also for the podcast. And you join in for any Patreon specials, any meetups, events, or any kind of live workshop that I do for Patreon all at that $5 tier. For $10, you get daily journaling prompts added in. And for $20, we get a monthly live call with me. So if this is something that interests you, for as low as $5, you can help me so much by supporting the podcast and helping to keep it going and make it happen. Just so you know, next month I'm hosting a live typing workshop. So if you are on the fence about your type, if you're trying to figure out your type, then you might want to join Patreon now to make sure that you have access to it in June. Now let's dive into today's episode. The words we use matter. When we find ourselves in repeated patterns of behavior, we can often find repeated patterns in language that correlate. So think about it like watching a kid learning to tie their shoes. The one that's going to have the easier time is the one telling themselves that they can do this, that they've got it, they're going to figure it out. The one telling themselves that they're a failure, that they will never figure this out, it's going to be a longer path. Just like in positive mindset work, we learn that the way we speak to ourselves impacts our worldview. If I tell myself today's going to be a good day, it doesn't mean that it's magically going to be a good day, but I'll start to intentionally look for the good that I see. It's also innate in our Enneagram. The way we speak about ourselves will impact the way we do our growth work in the Enneagram. Today, I wanted to offer you new language to some of the phrases I hear most often from each type. Our type ones often say perfect. I want to get this perfect. I want to make sure I get this done perfect or man, that's perfect. And even when giving compliments saying perfect, that language reinforces the idea that perfection is attainable and it's something that you should strive for. Instead, can you say to yourself, that was a job well done. Or I did a job that I'm proud of. I did the best that I could do on this. This way of phrasing it is going to give you a much easier time breaking the pattern of thinking that tells you that there is a level of perfect that you can achieve and you should continue to strive for. Type twos often say to me, I just don't want to be selfish. Or isn't that selfish? Or when I say, you know, can you give yourself an hour a week to just focus on you? They say, I'm so nervous about being selfish. And so when you feel that word selfish want to come up, can you think to yourself, this is empowerment. I could easily make this switch to self-care. And if that works for you, awesome. I intentionally chose empowered 
because I believe that self-care is kind of a word that is one overused in our society. So it gets a little bit fluffy. We think we're supposed to be like doing a spa day or, you know, soaking in a bath. But sometimes truly being empowered means prioritizing your tasks over the wants of the group. And even so, for a lot of twos, it's prioritizing your needs over the preferences of someone in your periphery, someone who's not even asking you for what you're trying to give them. So sometimes you can be so in tune with the needs of those around you that you interject and over-sacrifice even when they're not asking you to. But an empowered person, someone who is truly in their body, who's empowered, they know what they want, they know what they need, and they're not afraid to ask for it. They're not afraid to give it to themselves. They feel competent and capable enough to do what they need to do for them. And they know that anyone who has a problem with that is putting themselves over you and therefore is actually making a more selfish choice. Type three, instead of success, try satisfied. So often types threes, we get caught up in this, what do I need to do to achieve? What do I need to do to be successful? Where am I going? What's my trajectory? How am I going to succeed in this? And instead, I want you to make sure you're asking yourself if you are satisfied. Is my life happy? Do I feel good here? Am I doing the things that make me experience joy? Because oftentimes we forget that the journey this path to success, that's most of your life. Most of your life is spent in process, working toward the thing that you're trying to achieve. And if that sucks, if that feels really bad, that's your life. That is your life. 90% of your life is going to be in process. So it might as well feel good. So can you ask yourself, am I satisfied over Am I successful? And the other piece of satisfied here for our threes is that this journey, and I've talked about this before and I'll talk about it again, is this journey that you're on where you're trying to get to the next mountain peak, you know, like I'm going to achieve the next great thing. So get to the top and now I've won. And then you look around and you notice that there's another mountaintop that you just need to climb now. And once you get to the top of that mountaintop, there's another one. There's always more you could be doing in every area of your life. There's always someone more successful than you. So if you keep looking towards success, you will never be satisfied. And so if you can get into presence and ask yourself, what does it feel like to be here and now? And how could I make this the guaranteed, the thing that is here, the thing that is real, the only thing that is real is this moment right now. How can I make this feel better? Then you're going to have a successful life because you enjoyed your existence. Type fours, instead of I'm not motivated, try motivation follows action. I teach organization in my other life over at Sarah Jane Case and in my community, The Brave Collective. I teach organization, inspiration, creativity. How do you stay connected to your dreams and your goals and your passions? And the question I get asked the most is, where do I find my motivation? And 
motivation isn't this thing that we find outside of ourselves, right? It's not this object to be obtained or this thing that we create. It's innate. It's inside of us. And I think of it more like math, right? There are things that deplete our motivation. There are things that contribute to our motivation. And sometimes we accidentally deplete our motivation and sometimes we can intentionally activate it. But it's not outside of us. We can't find it and we can't wait for it to get activated in order for us to do the things we want to do in our lives. A lot of times our fours, you guys, you get stuck in this thinking of like, I should feel up to it. If I don't feel up to it, then it's not time. It's not right. It's not deep enough. But actually motivation follows the action. If you can activate the motivation intentionally, then the feeling will follow. So what I usually recommend for most people who need to activate their motivation is a couple of things. One, time yourself. Set a timer for five minutes. Just commit to doing five minutes and see if your motivation gets activated or prove to yourself how much you can actually get done in a short amount of time. The other thing that's going to help is really, again, looking at it like a puzzle. What do I continue to do that depletes my motivation? And then what can I intentionally do to activate it? What brings motivation in? What takes motivation out? And how can I make the math work for me? Type five, instead of asking yourself, am I an expert? Try, do I have information that others may not have yet? One of the best pieces of advice I ever received when I started my coaching business is who were you three years ago? What did you know three years ago? And then what do you know now? And what's the gap there? There's a magic in that three-year window. You're far enough ahead to where you know how to help people get forward, but you're not so far ahead that you forget about the pain point of those that are where you were three years ago. You remember what it felt like to be stuck there so you can more easily help them move through the growth. Now, this is me, of course, coming from like coaching, consulting perspective, but if you're coming from an education perspective and you're like, I want to share my information, but I feel like I don't, I'm not an expert yet, the best thing that a type five ever said to me was, I don't know, I'll have to figure that out. I'll get back to you. Because here's what that did for me. That meant that everything that they said to me, I trusted. If they told me something, then from that point on, I could say, I trust that if they say to me they know something, that they know it. Because when they didn't know something, they told me that they didn't. And so that built trust. I then saw them as an expert because I felt like everything they've said to me now feels way more credible. And they didn't have to pretend like they had it all figured out. No one knows the answer to everything. You just need to have more information than the people who you're trying to teach. You don't need to have all the information. You just might have something different that they need. Don't hold yourself back from putting yourself out there, doing the work you want to do in the world, because you feel like you need to know every single thing, that you can't face a question that comes at you without having the exact answer that they need to have. You cannot know and still benefit them positively. Type six, instead of letting people down, try choosing a path that works for me. The number one thing that type sixes say to me when I meet them in person, every single time they ask a question about a decision that they have to make. And they often say, I'm afraid of letting so-and-so down. I'm afraid of letting my boss down, my mom down, my family down. I'm afraid of letting someone down down. But instead of focusing on if I do the things that I want to do, if I 
go after my dreams and someone must be disappointed in me. Instead, try to realign your focus to choosing a path that works for you. And if you choose the path that works for you, the right people, the ones who matter, the ones that you want to stick by you, those people are going to get it and they're going to root for you and they will never feel personally slighted by your decision to do what is best for you, especially because that's not your problem area, right? Like your problem area isn't that you continuously let people down. (laughs) That's not the muscle you need to build, right? Some of us, we have that muscle to build. We need to work on that, but that's not your problem. You are more likely to over-sacrifice, over-analyze, over-worry because you're scared that you're going to disappoint someone. And usually the worry is not proportionate to the amount that someone will be disappointed. So you're worrying, right? And then that person might have a light disappointment, but then they're going to get over it. They will survive that feeling if it does arise. And the best people, they're going to cheer you on. Type seven, instead of happy, try present. And I'm going to even say that for me as a seven, you tell me how you feel about those other sevens. I resonate with happy, like let's be honest, and joyful and all the, all those words. But I even think about it on a more deep level as satisfied. So like the opposite of the advice that I gave to our threes, when I say focus on being satisfied, I think for sevens, we need to focus a little bit less on being satisfied in every moment and happy and future happiness and future joy and adventure and options and focus more on what's here right now. Because here's the thing, if we focus on happiness and we focus on good things to come, we miss out on the good things that are here. And we start to see the good things that are here as obstacles, as limitations, as things getting in the way of our joy, when in reality, maybe they are the joy. And so oftentimes we we might think like, oh, I just need to travel. I just need to get out. I just need to experience the world and then I'll be you know, happy, happy. I can't wait for that. Then that's going to be amazing. And you think about it, but then we, you forget that like, there's this beautiful tree outside your window that needs a little bit of attention. Or if you just looked at it for a little while, like the joy is here already and you don't need that stimulation to feel the good feelings that you like to feel. And you don't have to reject the negative feelings to feel the good feelings that you want to feel. That the more present you can be, the more consistently satisfied you actually are in the long run. Type eight, instead of powerful, try grounded. The phrase I really truly hear from eights the most is I don't want people to use that against me. So when I hear that, I hear I need to power up so that no one thinks I'm vulnerable so that they don't see me as prey and that I look like the predator so that therefore I can't be made the prey, (laughs) like animalistic. So instead of thinking of it as like powering up, like I will show you how big I am. I will show you how strong I am. I will show you how invulnerable I am, how impenetrable I am. Can you focus more on being grounded? There is so much power in groundedness. Can you lean back 
Get into your body. Feel your feet on the ground. Notice and let your strength go into your gut. Sink down into your feet and root you into the earth. And then when you think about making a decision or responding from that place, how much more space is there, right? Power looks like, you don't get to talk to me like that. Groundedness looks like, I hear what you're saying. I don't appreciate the way that you're choosing to express yourself right now. And when you're ready to talk to me in a kind way, I'll be here. But until then, I'm going to have to set a boundary. Those are two completely different energies. One of those is going to put a lot of strain on you and your relationships. And the other one, it's going to do the same thing, right? It's going to give you the same level of protection without a severing of connection. All right, type nines. Instead of I don't have a preference, try. Let me sit with that for a second. The most common phrase I hear from my nines is, but I actually don't care. (laughs) What if I actually don't mind? And maybe you don't, but maybe you do. And sometimes when our first mode of operation is to just say yes or to just go along, we might need to create a little bit of space between our first response and our actual answer. So someone asks you to do a favor for them, your first response might be like, oh yeah, no problem, I can do that. But if you just take a minute, take a little break, say like, let me get back to you tomorrow, sleep on it. Tomorrow, you might actually realize that you don't have the energy or the time. And there's kind of two reasons that this works. Number one, we have ingrained habits of behavior, right? Like our first response can't always be trusted. Sometimes our first response is just the one we're most used to. And for you, that is like, oh yeah, I don't have a preference. You're used to that. And so when we're trying to build these new muscles, which for you is letting yourself be seen and loved for who you are, you have to create a little bit of distance between your first reaction and how you really feel and what you really want to say. So ask for a little bit of time. The second reason that this happens is because we like that immediate gratification of the yes, right? Like someone asks us for something, we give them the answer they want and they like it and that feels good. And so that releases the endorphins that we're looking for. And yet on the back end of that later, we might realize that we said yes to something we don't want to do. And then we end up kind of dropping the ball on it, or we feel like we want to cancel it, or maybe we do it resentfully, and it takes a lot more strain on our relationship, and it takes more work out of us, and we feel really like daunted by it. And it creates more turmoil overall than if we were able to just take a little bit of space and say no, and sacrifice that immediate hit of the yes. So Those are just a few things to keep in mind, you guys, as we think about our language and choosing the way that we speak and the way that we respond a little bit more intentionally. As a reminder, join me on Patreon if you're still figuring out your type and want to join for the live workshop, or if you want an additional more behind the scenes episode a week, or if you're just amazing and want to help support the podcast and really benefit from what we're doing here, I would love to see you over there. As always, if you haven't left a rating and review on iTunes, do that today and I will be eternally grateful. Thank you guys so much for being here and I will see you in the next episode.